We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 22, and I've entitled this, The Witness Along Your Path. Now, what we're going to do is you're going to study Israel as they're going out in the wilderness with the Lord, and they don't know where they're going, and he's leading them. But what he's going to do is give them signposts of what to do to follow him in order to stay on the path. And the same is true for us. We're going into the wilderness experience, so to speak, this next year. We don't know what to expect. I mean, I don't know if, they're gonna over, if the Supreme Court's going to overturn this election. I mean, Pennsylvania sent its people, its, its legislation home. They're not even going to hear it. They say, well, we'll hear it in January. It's too late. You have to hear it before that. I think the, the, uh, the elector, uh, electors vote, I think this week or next week, I can't remember. Um, but they're, they're home. Pennsylvania went home. They're not even going to deal with this. And I, I just, I don't know what to think about that other than just, just absolute lawlessness. And, and so we don't know where to go. We don't know what's going to happen. So it's a wilderness experience. And in a wilderness experience, you have to have God's lead on things because he only knows the way through it all. And that's what I'm going to try to show you and I, how he did it with Israel. He's doing the same thing with us using those same principles. So we're going to look at three witnesses. What I want you to conceptualize in your mind is, is a mountain with a path going up to it. That's kind of how our lives are. And you start on the path at the bottom of the mountain. The goal is to get to the top. It's to get to your mission in life, accomplish your mission in life that the Lord has for you. And the same thing is true with Israel. And as you can see, it winds back and forth. But those, those dots there represent your signposts. Those signposts, those milestones are there to keep you on the path so you don't stray off of it. And that's what's going to be key for us in these dark times that are coming ahead. And so, again, I just want to show you three of them. There's more, obviously, in the, in the, in the future lessons that we're going to look at. But we're going to focus in on three. The first one I want to fo- uh, focus in on is this witness, is the witness of our position in the Lord. The witness of our position in the Lord. Now, let me unpack this before I get to the application of this and explain what he's doing with Israel. So let's read the text first, and we'll unpack it. It says this in verse 18. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. Now, the New King James and many other Bibles don't translate this properly. If you see the idea of orderly ranks, that's not, that's not what the Hebrew is saying. It is a military rank, but it's different. The Young's literal translation translate, the, translate this as they're in groups of 50, and those groups of 50 are in a particular shape. The Hebrew is trying to say it's a five-division shape, but they're in a group of 50. So let me give you the details of the shape, and then you see what this is the shape of. The way the 50s would be arranged are there's a group in the middle of the 50, there's a group ahead of the 50, there's a group to the rear of them, and then there's a group on the side, and then the other side. And they're going to go through the desert in this shape, in 50s. So each 50 is in this shape. Ahead, middle, tail, side, side. What shape is that? It's a cross. So if you look at the shape of the units, the 50 units, these are military units, but the units are shaped rear, central, head, side, side. 
So what your, what your English Bible is not showing you, but the Hebrew is showing you, is that they're moving in the shape of a cross with Moses in the desert. They're not a mob. They're not scattered all over the place. They're in units of 50, and they're going in that shape. Now, funny thing about the, the shape of them is that it's always a cross shape. Eventually, when they settle in the desert, according to the 12 tribes, that will also be in a cross shape. We've already studied about the door of Passover, that it's a cross shape in the application of the blood. The head, the sides of the door is a cross shape. And you'll see this cross shape all through Scripture until finally, you know, Jesus is crucified on a cross. It is the mark of God, the seal of God. So they're in this shape. Okay, what's the point of that? Why, why put them in it? There's several reasons. Let me explain this. God is bringing order out of chaos. That's the principle. So what he's doing is he takes Israel that's in chaos in Egypt, and then he's now taking them and putting them in order. And they will eventually that order will come into them being a holy nation, a priestly nation, and being used of God. So it's from chaos to order. If you look in Genesis, the way Moses wrote Genesis in chapter 1, it is order out of chaos. The chaos comes from the original earth being cursed and judged by God because of Satan's fall. And so if you notice, if you read chapter 1 of Genesis, it's a watery, watery mass, and it's black and dark. Water and darkness symbolize judgment. So the original earth was judged, and then God, out of that chaos, creates a new world that inhabits man. And so the dry ground appears and whatnot. So it's order out of chaos. And that will be the theme of the Bible. It will be the theme of your life. Israel pictures us personally. So as Israel's going from chaos to order, our lives before we came to Christ is chaotic. And then we meet Christ and we come to him in faith and then he starts ordering our lives the way he wants them to, it to be ordered. And so really your sanctification, your salvation is to get your life in order how he wants it to be. So chaos to order. Okay, so follow me on this. So, in, so to put Israel in military ranks in order, he is giving them a position before they can actually act on it. Okay, so they're, they're in groups. This is a military order, but they're not a, they've never picked up a sword. They've never fought a battle. They don't even know how to fight a battle, but they're in, ranked in military groups. And what it's a picture of is that it's their position now as a nation who will need to fight and battle in order to secure that nation. So position comes first and the practice comes second. So the same is true with you and I. The way God leads us is we come to faith in him, we accept Christ, order now comes out of chaos, and the first thing that comes out of the box that Scripture tells you and I is your position in the Messiah. It explains to us who we are in Jesus, our, our, our identity in him. So follow me on this. So now did you come to faith in Christ, you're instantly a child of God, you're a king, you're a priest, you're seated in the heavenlies, one day you will be adopted, and there's all these other blessings that you're given, you're forensically 
righteous and justified before him, even though practically you don't experience any of this. And sanctification is part of you starting to step up to that position and actually live that position out of who you are in Christ. And the more you you live that life that you're supposed to live and that identity, the more you become like Jesus. So ultimately, at the rapture or in death, uh, when we're glorified and resurrected, um, then you'll ultimately receive that experience to where you will actually experience your position 100%. So, this is the big thing that keeps us on the path, and it's what he's doing to Israel. In knowing your position in Christ, it's knowing who you are. It's your identity in the Messiah now as a new creature in Christ. Okay? Why is that so important to know when we're on the path? Because if you do not know who you are, you will assume a different identity, You will go by a different identity rather than who you are in Christ. And that's exactly where Satan wants you to be. He wants you to have the identity of Egypt or the identity of the world. Okay, so let's explain that. Because you can get multiple identities from different sources in your life and live according to them. So for instance, you might pick up your identity from your family of origin, Family of origin is probably one of the number one things of where people get their identity from. What do you mean? Well, in their family, they have a family dynamic or a structure in which certain people are golden children, certain people are mess-ups, certain people are smart, certain people are dumb, certain people are successful, certain people are not successful, and the, the family sticks on them an identity, and they actually will live according to that identity. It's not them, it's what their family tells them they are, but it is a false identity. That happens to a lot of people, and they actually play the part in their family. If they're the successful one, they will always strive for success. If they're the mess up, then they're always going to be the mess up. The other way you can get an identity is based on your trauma or your pain that you go through in life. So let's say you encounter a lot of trauma. Maybe you were molested. Maybe you were raped or whatever it might be. And then what happens from that trauma is you assume the identity from the trauma. So let me explain that. And in counseling people who have been raped or molested, a lot of people will then will blame themselves for that happening. They'll say, man, I shouldn't have been there. I should have made better decisions. And uh, I should have done this. I should have done that. It's my fault. And you, you say to them, it's not your fault. You were a child or whatever, a teenager. You had no adult mind with you at that time. You're trying to interpret yourself based on what you are right now. And so they'll beat themselves up for it. And what ends up happening from that is they get a self-condemnation, guilt, or shame identity. And because of that, they'll go through life with a shame identity. And this is what they tell themselves. Their identity is, I'm all messed up or I'm damaged goods. I'm not fit for anybody. I'm not fit for relationships because I'm damaged goods. And that will actually carry into the rest of their life. If your identity is I'm damaged goods, I can almost bet the kind of people you will marry. I can almost figure out what kind of friends you will have if you think I'm damaged goods, I'm no good. Because that is the world's way of thinking. It is not the biblical way of thinking. 
Or let me give you another scenario. Maybe let's say you grew up in an environment where there was highly performance in your family. They demanded high performance. You better get straight A's. You better do this. You better become a doctor. You better become a lawyer, whatever it might be. I mean, high, high, high expectations, high performance. You better deliver. What happens when you can't deliver? Well, I can't meet the family standard, so I must be less than. And so the person feels shamed, and they feel rejected. And so people have a rejection identity. You want to know what's behind addictions? It's a rejection identity. Whether it's alcohol, drugs, whatever, typically the person has a a shameful rejection identity that they're trying to hide. And they try to soothe themselves with addictions. But again, all of that is fake. That's from misperceptions of reality. That's from misperceptions of pain and trauma. And it's misperceptions coming from a family of origin. It is not who you are. Who you are has now been given to you by Christ. He says, you're a king, you're a priest, you're made whole, you're forgiven, you're all these other things. And the issue is you have to believe that. You have to stop believing in the old identity and believe in the new identity that Christ has made you. If you do not, you will stray off the path because of who you think you are. And it's hard, I know, it's hard to get out of that identity. And it's going to be a hard struggle for Israel because you know what Israel will do? Anytime things get rough with Israel, guess what Israel would default into? Wanting to go back to the old identity. They'll say to Moses, take us back to Egypt. Take us back where the leeks and onions are. They're going back to their old identity of chaos. Do you and I really want to go back to the chaos? How it was before you met Christ. To that that mess. Because God's bringing order out of chaos. He's brought that, but you have to accept the order. You have to accept what he says about you by faith. And then once you start living according to that, it actually flushes out in your behavior. And this is what he's doing to Israel. So this, this main witness is first and foremost, know your position, and that keeps you on the path. Now let's move to number two. The second thing we have to know is the memorial witness of the Joseph principle. I'll explain this in just a bit. It says in verse 19, And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. So that's Joseph speaking. And he made Israel, at that time of his death, promise him to take take his bones when they do leave. Now Joseph... Um, the backstory on Joseph, Joseph is um, one of the, the, the sons of Jacob. He's one of the 12. And if you recall the story of Joseph, he went through a nightmare, absolute nightmare. His brother sold him to slavery. They were almost going to kill him. He got sold into slavery, got sold into Egypt. He became a slave. Potiphar's wife accused him. And he got put in jail. He was in jail for a period of time. But then Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dreams. And then Joseph is exalted as second in command of Egypt. And he rescues Egypt from a famine. That's the short of the story. But the whole point of Joseph is he has a very difficult life. It's one of chaos. It's one of tragedy, what he lost. But then at the end, God works good out of the bad that happened to him. 
so that not only he's exalted, but also is able to rescue Israel from a famine, and he brings the 70 of Israel into the land of Goshen, where they, that 70 turns into 2 million over the course of several hundred years. That being the case, the Joseph principle is that God takes the tragedy and then uses it for good. And if you recall what he told his brothers, the second time he reveals himself is when they understand who he is. The first time he, they don't see him, but the second time they do, it's a picture of the Messiah with Israel. Well, the second time he reveals himself, they feel really bad what they did to Joseph. But Joseph says this. You remember this? He says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. The idea of God bringing goodness out of the evil that they did. That's the Joseph principle. That's the idea of carrying the bones of Joseph. It is a memorial witness that this is what God does out of tragedy. It's going to remind Israel that the tragedy you you came under with the enslavement that Pharaoh had on you, I'm going to make good out of that. I'm going to cause the exodus. It's even like in modern history, the Holocaust. The Holocaust was one of the worst things perpetrated on the Jews in modern history. It was a, it was, they were trying to wipe them out under Hitler. But what good came out of the Holocaust? Well, several things. Number one, 1948, Israel becomes a nation again. That's prophetically significant. They wouldn't have become a nation had not they had the sympathy of the world after the Holocaust. And America led the charge on reclaiming them as a nation again at the World Council. Another good that came out of it is the Messianic movement. It took a while to get off the ground, but the Messianic movement is why there's so many believing Jews in the last 20 years than in the last 2,000 years. Many, many Jews are now coming to faith in the Messiah and becoming part of the body of Christ. It started the Messianic movement. It also invigorated the Zionist movement to go back to the land. Many Jews want to go back to the land. Why is that? That's prophetically significant. God is calling the Jews back home now. And that they don't know why, but they're feeling called to go live in Israel. I find it funny that I heard rumors that even Jared Kushner and Ivanka are going to move to Israel. I don't know if they're going to follow through on that, but I heard they're going to make a move to live in Israel because Kushner's Jewish, right? Isn't it funny? I mean, they're not believers or anything, but they feel a compulsion to go back to Israel. Really, it's going to be the only safe place for a while for them. Nonetheless, the point about this is, in the Joseph principle, is that... You and I are going to experience this Joseph principle if you look for it. If you look for it. Now, here's what's going to happen. Satan is going to make you, and your sin nature is going to make you look at the pain that you went through, the trauma that you went through, the neglect, whatever it was that you went through, because all of us have rough patches in our lives. And what Satan wants you to do is just focus in on that. If you focus in on that, I can tell you where you're going to end up unforgiving, bitter, resentful, just hating life, always upset, life is never right, idealist, perfectionist, it all comes out in that kind of mentality. And you become shelved and off the path for the Lord. What God wants you to do is not ignore what happened to you. 
but to, to look at how he used that for good for your life. That's the Joseph principle. If you can focus in on the good that came out of that, then now you can stay on the path and be about the mission of the Lord because you won't have bitterness, resentment, or any of that stuff because you'll be able to forgive and say, no, God worked that for my good. That actually worked to my benefit. So I want you to think about this. Some of the tragedies that happen to people when they grow up, they, they grow up in an environment where they're unprotected. They're at risk. They have parents that are just degenerates and they don't even take care of the kids and the kid has to fend for himself. You say, well, that's a tragedy. No, it's not because you know what happens to that kid when he's an adult? Tell me what happens to a kid that goes through a life of being unprotected. They become self-starters. They know how to protect themselves. They know how to get themselves up out of bed. They know how to work hard. They know how to make it happen because their parents didn't. Their parents were neglectful. But that turns that child into the entrepreneurs of life. It turns them into the go-getters of life because they had no one else to rely on other than themselves. Your best CEOs, your best leaders come from environments of neglect. You don't become a leader from a cushy environment. It just doesn't happen. You, you become what you are by going through the trenches, and that builds the kind of character you need. Now, let's say, hey, man, I've had a lot of relationships in my life that burned me, They're, and they constantly burned me, man. Well, what did you learn out of that? Are you just going to condemn the relationships? Yeah, they were bad. There were toxic people. Or are you going to look at it from this standpoint? You know what? I'm a lot more wiser. I now know how to judge people rightly. I can see the kind of people I was with. I can see the kind of character that individual was, and I'm not hooking myself up with that kind of individual anymore. Dude, that's a safeguard now. Now you're protected. Before you couldn't see it, but now you can. Would you rather be ignorant or rather be in the know about what to watch? I think I would rather be, I, I would rather be over here, and even though I got burned, I would still rather be here so I can see it. That's called wisdom. You can't get wisdom without being burned sometimes. And I want you to think about that. All the toxic relationships that were there, what was God trying to tell you in them? What God was trying to say is you have a weakness. You can't see it. But I'm going to show you it because I'm going to let them burn you. I'm not going to cause it, but I'm going to let you, them burn you. Because I need you to see things for what they are because the time that you're getting ready to go in, I will need you to have your radar on. I will need you to know what to look for. Because before then, you couldn't. You see how it works? If you can get over here and focus in on what God's doing out of the mess, out of the tragic losses, he's preparing you with that for the next season of life. All of us have went through death. We've experienced death at some level. Somebody has passed away. Our parents, grandparents, whoever, brother, sister, whatever, Someone has passed away. If the devil can get you to focus in on what you lost, look what you lost, it, life will never be the same again. You're right, it won't be, but ask yourself what good is coming out of this. What good is God making out of it? You might not be able to see it, but you have to keep trusting that, that somehow goodness will come for me out of this. 
That's the principle of Joseph. If you can do that, it keeps you on the path. Lastly, this is the third point I want to make. The leading witness of the Lord. Let me read the passage and I'll explain this. In verse 20 it says this. So they took their journey from Sukkoth and camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. So just again, a refresher just so you can see what I'm talking about on this map. You can see where they come down from Goshen or Ramses or, or Avaris. They move to Sukkoth and they're going to transverse over through to Etham. And then they're going to move to Nueva Beach, and that's where they're going to cross at the Red Sea. And like I said before, there's a natural land bridge under the water from Nueva Beach to Saudi Arabia. So this is the path they're going to take. And then I'll just refresh our minds of what this path looks like. That's what the path looks like. You can see this little path in the middle of your screen, and that's what they're going to follow. But they're going to not just walk down this path. They're going to be led down this path. Show you another picture. If you can see in the corner, well, I shouldn't say in the corner, in, right in the middle is where they're going to camp in Etham. And then they're going to move down through here to Nueva Beach, and you can see the beach on the bottom. But in this place right here, there's an opening there that could hold two million people sitting there. So all the archaeology, all the path is exactly how Scripture says, where they camped, where they were at. It was it plenty of pl- uh, places for them to go. But the point of this is what we're going to read now in the text, verse 21. And it says this, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way. Now, the idea is the Lord's presence is going to be with them. And obviously, if, if the Lord shows his visible presence, it would kill them. So the way the Lord shows his presence in the Old Testament is by a pillar of cloud And then at night is a Shekinah glory fire. So this is how they would have followed this Shekinah cloud. Jesus returns on the Shekinah clouds when he returns in the second coming, the glory clouds. So this is the way that they could see God and not be killed by his presence. And so the principle is this. They are now being led through the wilderness, but they have the presence of God with them. They have a visible presence. Now, how is this likened to us and how he leads us on the path? We have something actually better than the Israelites had. They saw the visible presence of God, but God didn't indwell them. Under the new covenant, under the Messiah, God actually indwells your new nature. He's inside you. The Holy Spirit is inside you right now. That's why your body is called the tabernacle. And so you actually have a better lead, so to speak, than Israel did. Israel could see God, but now God is inside of us. It's a whole different ballgame. So we too have the presence of God that guides and protects us. Let's continue on. Look what it says. Just a a few things. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. Now the principle is this. They can travel 24-7. They can travel 24-7 because at night it's a fiery pillar that leads them at night. What's the point about this? Yes, God is present with them, but his guidance is day and night, 24 hours, seven days a week. He will continue to guide them through the desert, and eventually they make the tabernacle, and his presence is with them continually for the 40 years in the desert, and then eventually into the temple. What's the lesson for Israel? What's the lesson for us? It's that God is present with you 24 hours, seven days a week, but he also wants to lead you all the time, 
all the time, not just some of the time when the big decisions need to happen. He wants to lead you all the time, 24-7. Now, that's great because God offers that, but few take him up on that offer. They only want to be led if there's some type of tragedy in their life. They only want to be led if they run against a brick wall and they don't know what to do. But most of the time, Christians say, I got this one. And when they say, I got this one, they are now not following the lead of God. They're following their own lead, and it typically gets them off the path. Okay, let me put this statement out here. Many people want to leave California. I get it. I can't stand the state either. Now, if a shaft of light appeared in my room and said, we're taking the church to whatever state, then, then God would transport us and we would go. But he hasn't done that. And so we're, I'm destined to be here until if he ever moves us. So we're permanently here. And he wants a witness here in Bakersfield. But many people are saying, I'm just getting out of here. I'm getting out of here and I'm going to move to another state. I get that. I get that. I don't like the state as much, any much as, more than you do. It's just, it's horrible. But please do not move anywhere unless the Lord guides you. Because man, if you say, I'm leaving California and the Lord hasn't told you to leave California, you're going to get into a tricky mess. Because God wants to lead you, He's with you, He wants to guide you, but you must accept the path. And what if the path says, don't move. Don't do that. So part of the issue when God leading you is you have to accept the path and not protest it or just simply do your own thing. He adds one more thing to that I want to bring out. He says this in verse 22. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Why is that significant? He will never leave his presence from them. It's just like what it says in Scripture. I will never leave you or forsake you day or night. I'm always with you. And that's what he told Israel. that He would never leave them. So there is his proof that he's not going to leave them. When you look in your life, most people don't see this. But if you look in through all the tragedies in your life, you will see God's presence if you will look there. Most people don't see it because most people say, well, I went through this and I don't know where God was. If you look hard enough, he was there. He was with you 24-7. He wanted to lead you. But at that time, you weren't ready to be led. You didn't want to be led. And so sometimes you're going to take a route that takes a long time to get back on the path. But that's okay. You eventually get back on the path. And that's where he wants to lead you right there. Like with Israel... Israel will have to submit to the path. They will have to go by where he shows it. And that's the same for you and I. We'll have to submit to that. Now, here's the deal. To follow God is not so easy as it sounds. It is in one sense, but it's, not, it's difficult in another because it requires conditions to be met if you're going to follow God. The first condition, obviously, you've got to be a believer. The second condition, you have to accept the path. The third condition is you have to have the same values that God has in order to stay on the path. What do you mean by that? See, God's values are very much different than the world's. His values are, well, the number one value for you, do you know what the number one agenda for you is by God? 
with even without knowing your individual mission in life. You know what his agenda is for you. The primary thing that every part of your life is built around is to become more like Christ. That's it. If you want to know your mission in life, it's to make you like Christ. That's it. And one day he will eventually give you a glorified body and you will be like him in morality-wise, in righteousness. So that's a value. And, and then he says, if you do these, I have all these rewards for you that I'll reward you for. And you'll eat from the tree of, uh, of life and you will be a prince and lead and you will have authority and you will have this and you will have that. You will be able to enter the gates you will be able to have a new name. Now, all that stuff I just enumerated, the world could give a rip about. Eating from the tree of life, having a new name, well, I don't get that. That didn't make any sense. The reason why they don't value that is because they value the things of the world. So in order to be on the path, you have to value those things. Otherwise, if you value the world's things, you will go towards the world. Money, power, prestige, the whole thing. The Bill Gates life or, you know, whatever, uh, these multi-billionaires and whatnot, you know, that's the quest for power and money and, and prestige. Those are the things that the world values. So to be on that path requires you to value the things on that path. And Israel will struggle with this, guys. Israel will definitely struggle with this. But if you can get to that point of valuing that stuff and being in fellowship with the Lord by being obedient then he will lead you at any point in time. All you have to do if you meet those conditions is simply ask him. He is not trying to hide the path from you. He wants you to be on the path, but you have to meet those conditions. In essence, like the way you had to see God on this path is like a compass. And when you see a compass, the only way you're gonna navigate the high seas is through a compass. You have to be a slave to a compass. I don't care, you know, now we have our, our GPS on our phones to find our way, or if you're, you're flying an airplane, they've got to have navigational equipment. Well, the navigational equipment for you and I is God. And in order to follow that path, you must submit to being a slave to the compass. Because if you're not a slave to the compass, you will divert. You will go your own way. You will do different things that get you off the path. So these are the three sign markers. If you pay attention to the Joseph principle in your life, if you understand how God leads day and night and wants to lead, and with the first aspect, if you know your position in the Messiah, man, there's nothing that's going to stop you. I don't care what comes this year. There could be the fires from hell come towards you and me. There could be persecution. There could be all kinds of crazy things that we just don't know what's coming. But no matter what, if you're a slave to God, a slave to the compass, you will walk right through the fires and have no problem navigating this world. Let's pray.